I kind of had a choice at that point, not just being patient with the process, but being grateful with the process. And I'm like, mm, man, I went to my dad straight after the game. I'm like, yo, like this shit can't happen anymore, man. I always find the, always try to take the good out of any negative situation. You know, I have players coming in, Xavier, and they'd be like, um, you know, I played so bad. You know, sometimes I'd, I'd be like, hey, bro, hey, I don't know, we, we can't do nothing about that. I can tell you what we can do, we can get some work in right now. Like, if you're not doing plyometrics, you're losing out on a lot of potential for performance. Um, my dad had these tapes of the Laker games. Got to a point where I, I said, you know, I want to play basketball. And I just always wanted to make sure I had the edge over people. It became a part of me, you know, I, I didn't want anybody to get to be better than me. Thank you for listening to the Basketball and Barbells podcast. Before we get back into this new episode, I want to bring to attention the fight for equality and the Black Lives Matters movement. If you supported in the past, please continue to support in any way you can because the fight for equality is now the fight for our lives. This movement means everything to me because it's our legacies that will ultimately make the biggest difference. And I want my kids to be able to grow up in a world where they can be accepted regardless of the color of their skin uh, or for the people that they love. So I will provide links for those that are interested. And again, I just want to thank you for tuning into the show and helping us in our fight. Let's get back to the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Basketball and Barbells podcast. All right. So today we actually have a special guest. Um, it's funny because we actually been following each other for, for a little while now. Um, this is actually like one of the first times we really like second time we really linked up and actually had, um, you know, actually conversations and actually had a chance to link up. So uh, I just want to bring on a special guest today. Today we have, you know, Yosef uh, Isak. So we were actually practicing that name for like five <laughs> minutes now. But uh, Yosef is a basketball trainer from Miami, Florida. Um, he actually started uh, his own company, Value Basketball Skills Training, uh, going on about two years ago. Uh, he actually grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, graduated from the University of Miami uh, with the business administration and excess science degrees. Um, he's also, you know, good friends with uh, my boy as well, you know, Coleman, who most people know as by any means basketball. Uh, pretty much anytime you see a video with one person, you're going to see the other person in it. So uh, mm-hmm. I knew like once I got in touch with Coleman and we got to did our thing, I was like, yeah, I got to get I got to get Yosef out here. But uh, Yosef, man, I appreciate you for coming on, man. Yeah, definitely, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate that. Got you, got you. So my thing, whenever I bring on the guests, and like as I told you, I like for it to be their show. And so with that being said, I kind of want to give you an opportunity to talk about, you know, you know, a little short story about, you know, where you're from, you know, what's your mm-hmm. story and, uh, you know, how you even got into the skills training game, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So um, like a lot of other people, like you said in our show in the last week, um, I got into basketball skills training because I wanted to play basketball professionally, ultimately or initially. And then throughout high school or like it started that dream started in middle school and um, middle school, I was really not the best basketball player at all. Like I was nowhere close to being good. But then I went to high school. I started noticing how other people are training. I started working out with um, some um, upper level high school guys, higher elite guys in the in the area. And then I was mm-hmm. able to develop my skill, grow and get better and get better. But one thing I didn't really pay attention to was um, perform the performance side of basketball. I was really just focused on developing strength and trying to jump as high as possible. And I wasn't really paying attention to recovery. So I would just work mm-hmm. out as hard as I could. I was watching these Kobe videos that just, you know, kind of 
amplified <laughs> that work ethic to like, oh, he's working out six hours, seven hours a day. All right, I, I, that's what I got to do too. And then I'm over here just training, 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 and not really paying attention to my body. So each year, you would think I would have learned after one, but each year from freshman through senior year, I've had an injury that put me out for about two to three months, and they always happen right before the season started. So all of that <laughs> off seasons, all of those hours and hours and hours of grinding and working always came up for, like, always were worth nothing because towards the beginning of the season, I'd be injured and I'd sit out for the first two, three months of that season. And then um, by the time I would get back, I would obviously try to like break off that rust and just try to get back to the swing of things. But it was just, it's just difficult to do in the middle of the season mm-hmm. without having to, without having built up that um, chemistry routine. So eventually, like, I finished, I finished high school, didn't really get much attention from any colleges or anything. So um, I decided to go to University of Miami, got a full tuition scholarship there, purely academic. And I uh, took advantage of that there. And then there, I was able to, um, I knew I wanted to do something with basketball because I knew um, basketball was something that I've dedicated a lot of my time to already. And I couldn't just waste that time and completely mm-hmm. um, pursue something differently. So I knew I wanted to do something on the court. And then, um, so I met this uh, trainer that I worked with my freshman and sophomore year. Uh, organization was called Elite Skills Training. And they invited me to intern at um, their NBA pre-draft combine where I got the opportunity oh, to work with a lot of a lot of high-level D1 guys. Like, I met Torian Prince there. I met Derek Jones Jr. before he got in the NBA. Um, a lot of us, like, there was at least 15, 20 guys I had the opportunity to work with and help out with. So it was a dope experience for sure. Got a lot of, um, met a lot of connections there. And um, connections I still uh, I'm plugged in with today and then I still have conversations with today. So that was definitely a good experience mm-hmm. for me. And then eventually I started... Um, realizing that once I finish college that I'm going to have to figure out something where I can kind of like run my own thing where I don't have to depend on many other don't have to depend on anybody else for for uh, mm-hmm. what I want to accomplish so while I'm studying abroad in London actually this is when um the time because I don't know anybody in London obviously so the time I had to myself in London is really when I dedicated my whole that whole semester I just dedicated it to planning out for the next few years of my life and how I'm about to um attack and pursue Valley basketball skills training after I leave London and after I graduate in the years that are to come after that. So I'm glad to say that a lot of the stuff that I planned out during that semester, I've either already accomplished or I'm in the process of accomplishing and it's on the timetable that I set out for myself. So it's um, really satisfying to know that a plan that was like, I don't want to, it's going to be a shameless, uh, shameless plug in here, but I envisioned all that stuff in the past and now I'm in the process of just executing it. So and that kind of stemmed, and that that's what led to me meeting Coleman in Miami as a senior. We were playing basketball, and then I realized that he was running by any means basketball without even um, cause like what what I wanted to do at first when I met him is I noticed that he had um he was working out at one side of the court, I was working on the other side, and I was thinking like, yo, let's go train one day. I can work you out. I had no idea what he was or what he did, and then um I started working him out a few days, and then I realized that he we started talking. He started he showed me he ran by any means basketball. Then we just started, everything just took off from there. And then we started creating Vision Execute, uh, started having clinics, um, started doing a lot of like private individual stuff for our, on our own, and then did a lot of stuff collaboratively, collaboratively under the um, Vision Execute umbrella. So that's pretty much how I got to where I'm at right now. And then right now we're just working towards a lot of different projects and trying to accomplish a lot of different goals that are set up for ourselves and individual goals as well. So. This has been a dope experience and dope ride from that kid in sixth, seventh, eighth grade that didn't really know how to play basketball to the stuff I'm doing now. So I'm glad to say that I, I was able to make that happen. 
Nah, man, I just wanted to touch on a little bit, you know, obviously with like, you know, you and, and Coleman, man, it was like, it, it's just like dope to see two, two people bringing the brand together, you know, under one mm-hmm. umbrella and, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily like, like crabs in a barrel mentality. I think that's one thing I, I kind of noticed when I was in Florida, that's the way it felt, you know, mm-hmm. he had a couple of like, you know, people that were, that were willing to kind of, you know, collab and stuff like that. But, you know, I would talk and I would say, Hey, you know, like I'm trying to learn, can I just watch you train? And um, mm-hmm. that's actually how I met Bossy, which is pretty funny. Bossy happened, just happened to be in Tampa one day. I just happened to message him the mm-hmm. same exact day that he was there. And he was like, yo, come through and watch your workout. So I was in Orlando. I drove 90 minutes to go watch wow. his man, like, yeah, train, that's man. Dope. That's dope. Just, yeah, just to watch him train. And we had a conversation and stuff. But that's how I met Bossy. And that was, like, going on two years ago. And mm-hmm. ever since then, like, he's been – I come to him and I have questions and stuff like that. But for the most part, man, it just – it feels like, at least in my experience in the game, it was kind of like that crabs in the barrel mentality that I was talking about, where yeah. you know I would want to work and learn from somebody, but it almost be like, nah, I don't want you to steal my clients, and you know, yeah, like that's yeah. kind of, to me like that's kind of that's kind of the raw mentality. So like, what's you know I want to ask like what's kind of you know your experience like maybe seeing that, and mm-hmm. you know does that make you more grateful of like the relationship you have with your, you know with Coleman and everything. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've definitely experienced that as well. So when I was first starting up, when I was back in London, I made a list of all these people I'm going to hit up and try to um, see how I could provide value to them and how I could um, be helpful to them so that they can kind of help me out in the same way. But um, mm-hmm. a lot of those people I reached out to, I either got no responses from or I got some good advice where they kind of like steered me in the right direction, but didn't really um, want to like take part in that development of helping me out. You know, like they would just say like, yeah, you got to do this, this, and this, and then, um, and then, yeah, pretty much that, and then I was trying to, like, see how I can get in the gym with them and help them out and stuff like that, but it would never really kind of pan out to anything, so, um, I like the, um, that, that, that advice definitely helped me out for sure, but I always believe that collaboration over competition breeds a lot of better results for everybody involved, so there's a lot of, there's plenty of food on the plate for everybody to eat off of, so there's no need for, um one person to feel like a client belongs to them or anything where i i have no problem at all giving or not giving a client because they're, they're really their own people so i have no problem referring another trainer to one of my clients because i know that that person can help them with the specific thing that i may not be at best at helping with helping them with so i know that other people have different strengths and weaknesses so i try to do the do, do as best for the client and then sometimes collaboration is always is what is going to help that client the best so competition i feel like competition in the training industry just isn't something that needs to exist because there's already enough competition as is with a lot of um against like the bad trainers i don't say bad trainers but Mm. trainers that really are gimmicky and um aren't really looking out for the client at uh at heart like as their first intention so um, there's already enough of that going on so whenever the two trainers that are on the the right level and have the right mindset can collaborate i think a lot of great stuff comes out of that and two brains are always greater than one in that in that sense so i think um that's something that a lot of trainers should look look to doing more so in their in their philosophies and um i have no i see no problem with doing that right no i totally agree man i totally agree i it's funny because like i i kind of always felt that way i'm like but then it kind of like started um like kind of affecting me because i'm like damn mm-hmm. you know all these people like maybe that's the that's the mentality when i first got into the game i'm thinking okay like you know, whatever. I'm just trying to learn. And mm-hmm. when I saw that happening, I was just like, damn, all right, well, maybe I need to, maybe I need to be more, be more protected. Maybe I need to kind of have this mentality, this mindset. 
And honestly, mm-hmm. it's the, I'm not gonna be, I'm gonna lie. Like it's the conversation with Bossy. That's the one that really changed my perspective on a lot when I was talking mm-hmm. to him, just like, you know, business and stuff like that. And I mean, obviously, you know, Bossy, his first thing mm-hmm. was, nah, you know, like do it for the athlete. You know, that's exactly. what you're ultimately doing it for. And at that point, that's when I was like, damn, that's when I started, you know, making changes. That's when I really started doing things mm-hmm. outside my own comfort zone and, and just trying to be, you know, more, I don't know, just being, just being, more aware of you know what i think and, and how i operate mm-hmm. and that's when things started changing for me but mm-hmm. no nah, man I, I couldn't agree anymore with that uh, um yeah. one thing i did want to talk about too is pretty much like the whole <laughs> meat and potatoes of this is you know mm-hmm. even just talking to you and coleman and stuff like that when we had our our our, uh, our podcast it was kind of like when i touched on it a little bit it's something that had been on my mind for a little bit but you know, I see a lot of players and, um, you know, working with the trainers are on their own and, you know, they're doing these combo drills, like these crazy combos, like cones and things mm-hmm. like that. My thing with that is when you get in a game, like and you're put in a situation where you have to make a decision, like how, mm-hmm. how are you going to respond to that decision? And so mm-hmm. like, and we kind of touched on it a little bit. It's just like, you know, reading and reacting. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, that's pretty much my opinion what sports is like, you are put in a situation where you have to make a decision. You have multiple options. You know, mm-hmm. which option is the best one for that situation? And two, like, how are you able to competently, you know, execute that decision that you made? So that's why mm-hmm. I kind of look at it, like, as a whole. Um, but obviously, like, everyone has their different philosophies. So with you, I wanted to ask, you know, what is your philosophy on developing a player that can make reads like that in game-like situations? Like, you know, maybe what's the process that you you kind of go through? Like, how do you teach the players how to start reading situations, reacting instead of just dribble mm-hmm. combos and you don't go anywhere? Yeah. So um, I think the uh, that that type of training that you were just talking about, where like people doing all these different types of combos and just repeating them with no defense or no live situations. I think that's um. So what I I just talked about this recently in uh, one of our other under the micro- microscope episodes, um, uh, how to develop skill in the correct way on your own. Um, I, I broke it down to two sides. There's um, the mechanical aspect of training. There's a live situation and, and game-specific aspect of training. So that that would fit those combos and doing things with no defense develops the mechanical aspect of it. So if that's something that if that's something that's uh, you're particularly weak at, so let's say ball handling, something that you like ball control overall, not even in a real-life game situation. If ball control is something that you struggle with, those mechanical type drills are something that I would definitely incorporate my training with those players but if that's solely what you're doing with that player then they're not going to become the best instinctual players that you they, they could possibly be because what you want to build in training is instinct in game situations where they don't have to think about what the correct move is that they've repeated it so many times in these uh recreated specific situations that it just becomes so automatic in their mind that all right if you cuts me off this way, i'm gonna go this way and if you're just doing mechanical training all the time in your training, then there's no way you'll be able to develop that instinctual reactive component in your game. So live situation is definitely, for a lot of the structure of my workouts, live situations are about like 40 to 50% of the workout while everything else is shared amongst the remaining 50, 40%, so, or 50, 60%. So um, live situation games or game situation, live situation training is, so what I, how I would go about doing that is just, um, if I don't have, because a lot of times you don't really have all the bodies that you need to recreate a actual situation to make that player really live. Like, so in a pick and roll situation, you don't have 
the um the you don't have another big or another guard to pass it to in the corner or like all these extra bodies so you have to kind of get creative with recreating certain situations but um i think it's important nonetheless because without those recreations and without those read and reacts that players have to go through in training then there's no way that they'll be able to handle an actual game situation because cones they they stay still but defenders they're gonna they come in all different shapes and sizes they're not just gonna stay and wait for you to make a move and stay there after you make it they're gonna ride with you they're gonna slide with you gonna block your shot whatever they have to do to defend that and then um you don't see that in in that mechanical aspect of training so game situation is something i believe is that i think a lot of the training industry going now now is heading towards that direction because it's been mm-hmm. kind of um the mechanical training is became, it's starting to become more archaic, and a lot of players are starting to realize that it's not getting them to that next level. So um, a combination of those two is definitely important. I think that's the the, be- the balance between those two it needs to be more so game-specific and then reverting to mechanical training whenever um, like a certain game situation is difficult to develop because of mechanical issues. So like uh, to, to give, a, give an analogy... Um, so think about in a car race, you want to. The goal of the race is to beat the, the all the other cars in the in the race that that are in the race with you. So you want to beat them, and then being able to do that, you have to. Yeah, there are there are pit stops, so we have to fix the tires, so you have to change the oil or fill up the gas, and those are what I would call the mechanical situations. And then the actual right. game situations, racing around that track and going through that course. So um, those pit stops are definitely necessary, but just doing a pit stop won't get you to that finish line. It has to be a combination of that race and the, the pit stops for that analogy. Yeah. Right. No, I love that, man. And it's it's funny. Like, I love the analogy. I thought you were going a different way with it, but I still love even where you took it. Uh, uh-huh. Even with, like, me, like, how I look at that is, um, like, even say, like, the driving aspect of it, that's, like, you know, that's going to be, like, your instincts. That's going to be, you know, a yeah, situation because yeah, yeah. you got to make decisions. But you still need the vehicle to get there. So, I mean, it's mm-hmm. even the same thing you're talking about the pit stops. Like, your car has to be in order. You know, like, the pieces yeah. have to be in order in order to get there. So, it doesn't matter if you're a good driver. If your car is, you know, the tires out or something like that, the mechanics of it. So, like yeah. you said, you need you absolutely need both. But um, mm-hmm. I definitely agree with you, man. I think, you know, a lot of times, like, even when I was growing up, I did a lot of mechanical stuff. And it's funny because I look back and yeah. I realize it. So, I get in the game. And like I, I got, I got a big bag, but I don't. When I get to the a decision, yeah. I'm like, I don't know what tool to pick out. So I'm just sitting exactly. there, like, yeah. I'm trying to figure it out. So it's almost like you're trying to learn in game. And at that point, if you're trying to learn at that point, instead of showcasing, I think at that point that now you're kind of in a a, a picky uh, yeah. a pickle. Because you know what I'm saying? Like now at that point, you're trying to learn on the go, and and at that yeah. point you're already too yeah. late. Yeah, it's way too late because everybody in there is already prepared for that situation where you're just ready to know how to make these certain moves, but you don't know how to apply them. So it's never it's never helpful. Yeah, for sure, man. When you get um, so when you get a new player, what you know, how would you how do you assess their game? Like, I know, obviously, like watching film is a big thing and and things Mm -hmm. like that. But when you get a new player, let's say you have watched the film and you maybe you've seen, you know, what they can do. Is there something that you that you would uh, do with a player to kind of at least see where they are, like maybe mechanically and then maybe instinctually to say, okay, maybe this is the direction we need to uh, lean a little bit more? Or is that a process that develops as you train the players? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both because you definitely want to be as um, uh, adjustable as you possibly can with the player. Because uh, at first, you, what you believe the player's weaknesses may be, 
may just have been a bad game or maybe it's been a kind of a slump they were going through, like a shooting slump. So maybe they're not really just a bad shooter. They just have been going through a tough time. So initially what I like to do is just um, the workouts. My first workout with a player usually is a lot more attention detailed. Mm-hmm. And I, when, the reason is it's, it's like that's because I want to see how well these players can pick up on little details and how, um, how well they listen and how well they can ask questions and um, see if they actually can pick up the things that I'm talking about. So after I get to that, then I try to recreate these game situations, and then I try to see what I ask them: what options do they see come out and coming out of this? Like, what do you think you could have done here versus that? Like, what what are some things that you could have done, or if I cut you off this way, how could you have countered that? And then when I when I'm asking them that, I'm really just testing their IQ to see what they're able to think of. And then if I see that they're creative with their answers and they have uh, not I don't want to say the correct answer, but an answer that that makes sense. So like if I cut off the right side and they say oh, well, I would have just either snatched it back depending on your momentum or I would just cut a switch direction and attack them the other way. I, I, those are the answers I'm looking for. And a lot of players, they just say they don't know. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. what I would have done. And that's what, that's a guy, that's a kind of um, a sure sign there where they don't have the, they have the mechanical side down, but they don't have the live read and react situation side of it down. So that's um, something I for sure like to do early on in players, uh, players' um, initial uh, assessment, I would say. And then um, over time, it adjusts, and I, I throw in more and more game situations. And then from there is when I kind of pinpoint weaknesses, specific weaknesses that could be developed through mechanical training. Yeah, man. No, I love that. And I love the fact that you even, you know, it's funny because you, and, uh, you and, and Gannon Baker actually do the same exact thing, bro. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny because I was having a conversation with him. And um, mm-hmm. there's actually, there's some science behind this. And, you know, I'm going to butcher it right now because I don't have the article in front of my face. But mm-hmm. um, I can't remember the term they use, but that's like part of the learning process. So mm-hmm. um, I forgot there was a study done and it was like two athletes and a coach. And basically they got the coaches would, would get the athletes and say, hey, like I want you to do an overhead squat. And they'd have the other athlete watch the athlete doing the overhead squat and have mm-hmm. the other athlete correct the athlete doing the overhead squat. And basically like what that does is like you're actively involving them in the learning process by asking yeah. them questions instead of teaching them or just telling mm-hmm. them. And mm-hmm. so, like, that becomes a, a better teaching tool. So with you, I see that, like, you're taking the athletes and, like, yeah, you're, you're teaching them. But then you stop and say, well, what would you do? You know, now yeah. all of a sudden they're part of, the, part of the teaching process. So now it's, like, a deeper understanding because now they got to sit there and think about, it, like, damn, what would I do? Exactly. You know, what I just, yeah. you know, instead, instead of just, like, oh, okay, I'm memorizing the questions. Like, to me, like, that's, that's more effective than just saying, here are your options, like, now mm-hmm. you're like, okay, like here are your options. Cool. Like now we have options, but which one would you use? And then mm-hmm. involving the creativity of it. That's that's what sports is, man. Like yeah, you got to exactly. self-organize. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't just say like every situation is going to be ideal for these situations. Like it might be a mixture of two answers you have. It yeah. might be a snatch back into, you know, a behind the back. Like you don't know. Like there's so many yeah. things that, that go into it. And um, no, I love the fact that you do that, man. Like um, yeah. when did you... When did you feel like you developed that part of the teaching process? I think is um because like you said with you when you were growing up you did a lot of mechanical training. I did the same exact thing where I didn't I since I worked out by myself I don't really have anybody teaching me how to train so I would just go in there go on YouTube and see all these drills that made you a better ball handler made you a better finisher made you a better shooter but and I thought in my opinion that's what I thought I needed to do like I didn't need anything else. I actually I used to people used to ask me um. 
uh, yo, yo, do you want to run some games? And I'd be like, no, nah, I don't need that right now. I need to train. I need to train. I need to get better. <laughs> and li- like looking back now, it's like the dumbest thing I could have said. Like I, I, I should have <laughs> ran those games. I should have played with those people and see, like, uh, showcase myself and learn. And because those games are basically assessments of to see where you're at. And you don't right. really know what you need to work on until you played in those games and exp- your weaknesses have been exposed. So me back then, I was just thinking that. No, I can't afford to waste my time playing with you. I need to, I need to develop my skills and become. And I think that to a to a certain extent that was true because I was far behind a lot of people. So I did need that mechanical training more than most. But um, I definitely still could have taken advantage of the uh, game situation training. And that's when I, looking back, is when I realized that like, yeah, that's probably why I wasn't so confident on the court and why I struggled on the court. Maybe maybe that's something I need to incorporate more in my training with other people. And then I, I've definitely noticed that from the uh, pre-draft combine I was talking about from my freshman and sophomore year, where I would, all of that training, it seemed like the mechanical training or the ma- mechanical aspect of it was only like the warm-up. It was like the first five, ten minutes of the whole workout, mm-hmm. and the remainder hour, hour and a half of that workout was just all these live situations where they recreated certain pick-and-rolls, certain transition situations, certain like all these different situations that come in basketball. They just recreated them bit by bit and then had the players go through them. I realized, like, wow, this is really, like, this is pretty much just training. It's taking what you see on the NBA game or college game or high school game and putting in this empty gym and then with all the resources that you have and then recreating the best that you can. And then that's when um, those, uh, like I said earlier, that's when those mechanical weaknesses kind of expose themselves. And that's when you know, all right, this player struggles dribbling with his left hand or he struggles driving or pulling up. When he's um when he has a defender about to cut him off or whatever the case is, so that's when I that's when I realized that mechanical training should be used as a supplement to game situation training instead of um being like the main meat and potatoes of a workout. <clears throat> no, I love that man. I love the fact that it's it's a supplement. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. not like yeah. going to be your entire workout. And that was my problem. Like I'm telling you, like yeah. coming up, I did the same exact thing. That's why it's funny, man. Looking back, is like. You know, as you get smarter, you know, you just, yeah. I don't know, I feel like it's like it almost makes you more ashamed when you look back like, damn, I was doing yeah. the wrong thing. Like, yeah, my exactly. dad would my dad would be like, hey, well, let's go to the gym because we had a gym membership somewhere with the court. And I'd be like, nah, like, I got to, you know, I got to do this ball handling. I still got to train. And then mm-hmm. it's like you do all this training, you in the court. And it just feels weird, man, because it's like you yeah. have all this game, but it's like you still don't have the confidence, at least in my opinion. Exactly. I didn't have the yeah. confidence because I'm like, well, damn, I've never been in this situation. Like, what do I do? Like, oh, sh- you know, like they're now they're trying to yeah. ice me off the screen. Like, what do I do? Like, yeah, I yeah. can do all these dribble moves, but you know, which one is best in this situation? So your mind is like on a million, you know, trying to make yeah. all these all yeah. these decisions, and the game yeah. isn't slowed down at that point. I think that's yeah. that's important because we talk about the game slowing down, and that comes with instincts and being able to basically see ahead. Like, oh, I see him coming up. Like, okay, cool. Like. I yeah. need to attack his outside foot, you know, and then you can use this move to attack that. And there's just so much that goes into it. But no, man, yeah, I think yeah. that was that was one thing that I was always talking about is like mm-hmm. you, the game slows down when you get that experience, at least in my opinion. And um, yeah, everything you're saying, it makes total sense. Yeah. I, I wish you would have been my trainer when I was younger, man. <laughs> yeah. I wish I was my own trainer when I was younger, to be honest. <laughs> Because I did, gotcha. like, eventually I did um get a trainer, like, the, uh, I think he actually worked at Markel Fultz back then, but um I think at Mar- Markel Fultz was actually in one of the sessions with me, but this was back when he was, like, a middle schooler, so he was, like, some short, pudgy little kid that I didn't really think much of at the time, but um it was this, the whole workout was just mechanical drills, just no defense, nothing, no one-on-one situation or nothing, so I really just assumed for a while that that's how you're supposed to train, 
And then one thing I forgot to mention how I um structured the workouts is uh you were meant you talking about how you give all these players these options and then they don't really know what to do after because you never incorporate the game situation part. I I do want to say that with uh like so like I I kind of have it as a progression where the um, mechanic. So let's say I'm working on a triple threat, uh, one on one moves from the top of the key. So I would have players rep out certain most common options. So like um like a jab, jab step, rip through, pull up, or whatever. And I would have them rep out like three or four different types of options. And then the after that is when I would introduce a one-on-one element where I say, all right, now it's going to have a defender on you or I'm going to guard you. And then you could do whatever you want. You could use the options that we worked on before or you can make up your own options or all you got to do is just find a way to score out of that triple threat. So I kind of like preload it with those options given to them, kind of like the default control settings. And then I say, all right, but now you can kind of uh, put your your spice to it and your aspects or your creativity to it, and then um just find a way to rock out and score on me. You could use what we've worked on, or you could figure out another way. So whatever that is, like that incorporation of that type of um uh, uh drill or, or that kind of situation is really what takes the what the players just learned and um uh like the mechanical aspect they just learned, and that's when they can apply it on their own without me putting them in a box and um having them do it in a specific way. So. When it becomes like when it's just when it's more just me telling them what to do every time that player becomes more robotic and it's never it's never like like I said mentioned or like I mentioned earlier it's never something that the player needs. Yeah, no, I I, I definitely I love that man. And one thing one thing I wanted to ask is like you know you, you touched on like you know adding or giving them like hey like these are the options you have the score but then like let's add a little sprinkle of creativity on top of that. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to ask is. When you do, let's say you do have a player who is more instinctual, right? They're very good in, in, in game and things like that, but mm-hmm. their mechanics are just, you know, they're trash. Like maybe he or she just, you know, for whatever reason, they don't have the hardware. One thing mm-hmm. I wanted to ask is, have you seen a correlation or like maybe like, you know, like something where you see like, okay, a player becomes more instinctual and now their mechanics improve or their mechanics improve and they become more instinctual. Uh, have you ever seen kind of like a correlation behind that? Um, I've never really seen like a direct correlation between the amount of mechanics a p- player has to how well they play instinctually, but I have seen a correlation with the amount of playing that they've done with the um, game situation. So like, let's say a player uh, growing up never really trained, but they, um, played like the like the kids that were asking me to play like i i never really played with them but the players i did play every single time those kids would play now those kids are a lot more instinctual types of players that may struggle with little mechanics but they've found they've just kept playing through them and found ways to kind of um shield those weaknesses by figuring out different ways through playing so those learning or those adaptations that those players were able to make just from playing kind of i think I think are far more superior than the um, a player that would come in with the perfect mechanics on his shot, perfect mechanics on his form, and anything that he does because he really doesn't know how to apply it in a real life situation. So, the correlation definitely exists between the amount of playing a player has done compared to um, how well and instinctual they can they can play. And I think the mechanics is a lot more secondary in that in that sense, mm-hmm. and they figure out ways because if your mechanics are bad and like they're really really bad and you just can't you can't even play to the level of being instinctual, then you do need the mechanics. But if you have enough to get by and then you have enough to like score at uh, score in any type of way that you want, where let's say you're doing it with um, 
really bad mechanics and you figure out ways to get around it, then that's when uh, I think the that's that's an example of how game situation training is far more superior and should be treated as like the the meat and potatoes of a workout versus the mechanical side. Right. And I was I was wondering because I don't know, it's just kind of a thought that went through my mind because um, mm-hmm. Jamal Crawford, you know, like he said, and uh, I think it's even Chris Paul now at this point, but mm-hmm. I remember hearing a, a quote from Jamal Crawford saying he's never in the offseason, never really worked on his game. He just hoops. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. and it was it was like it got me thinking like, damn, like is, you know, should, should you just hoop? Like, I still think you should, you know, still get the mechanics down. But mm-hmm. even then, I mean, he might be an otherworldly talent. But at the same yeah. time, I just wondered, yeah, like, exactly. you know, is this, is this an isolated incident or is this something that can be done with more players? Like, I would definitely love, I, would, I mean, I wish, like, basketball was, like, you know, they were like into research because I would love to see something like that, like a study where you take, like, mm-hmm. 100 athletes and you just have, you know, 50 of them hoop and then you have 50 of them mm-hmm. train with a trainer and see what happens. Um, but even then, like, Chris Paul, like, as he's gotten to his age, he doesn't even, uh, he said he doesn't work in his ball handling anymore. He's, he's at the point where he just does reads because, He's got yeah. the mechanics down, so like at that yeah. point, it's almost like five minutes. Cool, let's hop into this work. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, for because I've definitely seen players like that. Like um, my point guard in my high school team, he was an animal. Like he never ever like really got in the gym and trained. Like he, only the most he would do is get in the gym, and get shots up, or just a whole bunch of catch and shooting, catch and shoots. So, um, mm-hmm. I, but I think with those types of players, with this specific, the one I'm talking about specifically, he grew up just playing every day that he can and then what he would do is, is he would play in kind of like a controlled competition where he knew mm-hmm. that the competition wasn't significantly better than him but they were yeah better than him enough to the point where he can still participate and adapt in a progressive way and then he would then push himself and find another crowd that's a little bit um that's a little bit better than the last crowd where he can kind of just grow with that crowd slowly because if you put like, like let's say if you put like a freshman kid that's never played any type of basketball before in a gym with a whole bunch of elite D1 players, they're not going to be able to gain anything from that. But if you put a that same freshman kid in a gym full of other high-level JV players, then he may be able to learn and pick up those little details from those players and start applying it to his game slowly. And then um, he'll progressively and progressively build up that competition level to the point where he can play against one of the best talent around that area without ever having to really work on his game because he just had to make those corrections and adjustments to his game as he was playing. So I was um, it was that's a, that's another example of how just playing is a lot more superior than the mechanical aspect of training. Yeah, no, for sure, man. And but um, but, but if that certain if that same point guard, if he was able to combine those two, where he played those games the same way that he was, and then he was also focusing on his mechanics, I think he could have been a much much better player than he was. So I right, think man. In conjunction, there, that's the best best option that you could have. Yeah, man, it's it's crazy because like uh, I think a lot of players, you know, they don't. I don't think they realize, or at least like I didn't realize. Um, it's almost like progressive overload, right? When we're talking about yeah, performance training exactly. and stuff like that, it's like you don't want to get you don't want to get a stimulus that's too much for you because at that point you're not going to really adapt to it, or it's just going to do more harm than good. So. Exactly. If you get like a, a JV player and you put them in, you know, uh, a low level NBA tryout, like they're going to, it's going to crush their confidence. Yeah. But you put them in, like you said, a situation where, you know, they can, you know, it's not too much of a, uh, uh, of an overload, but it's just enough where they can actually get some progressions from it or get some adaptation from it. Then cool. Like we'll put them in that position, gain confidence, and then, you know, learn and then put them in a situation to be successful. But 
Mm-hmm. No, I love that. It's like as you were saying it, it's almost like like he's like progressive overlay that we talk about. It's like, yeah. Okay, let's put him yeah. in this crowd. Cool. Like let me let me develop some some skills, some counters. Cool. Like I can I can dominate this level. Let me move up a little bit more. And it's not okay. like you're just jumping to the next. Like okay, I'm just gonna play with these guys. Like some it does work at times. Yeah. I think when I hear players say like, oh, you gotta play with players better than you. I think there is kind of like a limit to where we could put that player, um, yeah. unless you just get somebody who's just rock solid confidence, like they're gonna learn. I feel like yeah. it needs to be gradual because you know, for yeah. the most part, most players need to develop confidence over time, and it's not gonna happen overnight. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the times, that that type of progressive overload really happens on accident. It's not like these players are purposely going to like this crowd of players that are just. Um, a little bit better than them to the point where they progressively overload. It's just that that's the only type of players that were around in that area where they where they were growing up. So it's a lot of them, um, the product of the environment that they grew up in. But um, it is definitely something that made a made a made a huge difference for them growing up. Because if they focus solely on the mechanic side, like we talked about, it would have just been a completely different story for them. <clears throat> for sure, for sure, man. All right, one thing I did want to touch on too is like obviously progression, which is good that we've been talking about that. Um, mm-hmm. when you do get a player, um, and let's say they're new and mm-hmm. you've been training with them, let's say like, you know, over the off season, three, maybe four months, um, what, in what ways do you normally, you don't have to give the, the entire, uh, spiel of it, but just in what ways do you kind of look for progression? Like what ways are like, do you continue to kind of make assessments to see like where the player is and then, okay, cool. Like let's layer something on top of that. Okay, cool. Like you're at the next level. Like. Maybe mm-hmm. what is like one or two, a few examples that you have of like having a player, they make uh, some gains somewhere and then how do we progress? To, OK, like, let's overload this a little bit more. Like, what are you looking for in those situations? Yes. So I do that collaboratively with the players. So I try mm-hmm. to um, initially before we even start with a new player, I want to outline our goals and focuses for that player for the upcoming certain time period that we're about to be working out for. So um most recently, we had a player and uh, coming into this offseason before the coronavirus happened. We made a whole plan for that player, and then we uh, we talked about it together. We had our own SWOT analysis, so strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats for that player. We had we asked the player to make a SWOT analysis for himself, and then we kind of see how they um, overlap with one another. This is something that I got from a trainer that I interned with back uh, the freshman, sophomore year I was talking about. His name is Brandon Dean. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's the one that taught me that um, doing that early on, doing the whole, doing the work early, really can just make that work a lot more um, specific and uh, what the player actually needs, so necessary. So when you do that, then you kind of go through um, that for however long period that you had assigned, the two, three months or whatever the offseason is, and then you kind of reassess at the end of that and then see if you actually reach those goals. So like let's say the goal was that they want to shoot um, right now, they're shooting 50% from the field, um, or 50% like the uh, uh, yeah 50% from the field or in shooting workouts, and they want to reach it up to like 60, 70, 80% by the end of the season or by the end of the off season. And then what we'll do is we'll have that same assessment that we did in the beginning, where we uh, saw where they were at before we started or before we signed that percentage, and then we do that same assessment at the end and see if they've grown past that. But what's difficult with skills training is that. It's not like the performance side where you can time uh, how fast a player does something or you can see how much weight they lifted or how high they jump. So it's, it's a lot more of um, it's a lot more of a subjective assessment. So you want to see like there's only so many things that you can track on the skill side. So mm-hmm. like how how um, how instinctive a player becomes isn't really something that you can really 
uh, quantify. So it's something that you have to kind of see subjectively. And that's where, like, I think the, a lot of trainers um, input their value, like where the, they have the ability to recognize, all right, he's getting a lot more comfortable doing this in a pick and roll situation. So I'm, I'm starting to see he's getting more confident in that. So let's see if we can add this component to her against uh, maybe a hard hedge instead of soft hedges. So we, we try to switch it up a little bit. And that's when we can kind of make those subjective reads where those objective quantifiable um, reads or uh, assessments aren't really possible. So um, they're yeah. definitely objective assessments that I do with the players. So like shooting percentages are obviously the easiest way to do it. Um, mm -hmm. How fast a ball, uh, how, how many pounds or whatever, a certain type of move that the player can do in a certain amount of time. But those, like I said, are only mechanical. And then the main thing that you want to test and see if a player is getting better is the uh, the game situation aspect of it. So that's a lot more of a subjective assessment at the end of the um, time period that the players have. And that's something that you do with the player also. Like, how do you feel now? Do you feel like you're, you become a lot better of a pick and roll ball handler? Do you feel like you're a lot more confident? Do you think you make a lot more better reads? And then, um, and then that's how, and then you see how they feel about it, how confident they feel. And then you kind of gauge where you're at with that, with, through them. And then another thing you could also do is just see how they play in games, like see how many mistakes that they, they how many turnovers they make it during right. a certain specific situation that we've worked on in the past and to see if that's something that they were doing before in the um, before we started training or if it was something that's improved during the because of the training. And that's how you can kind of see if that training was actually helpful to them and beneficial to them or it was just putting them through the motion and they didn't really learn anything. Because there, no, there are a lot of times that. where that happens, where a play, you, you do what you think is best for that player, and then once you reassess, you realize, all right, maybe I'll just put him through the motions. He didn't really gain what he needed from that. So let's try to readjust it in the next two weeks or two, three months of training and see how we could uh, do better with that specific situation. <laughs> right. No, I love that, man. And one thing I actually want to um... – I don't even know if, if, if anybody would ever do this. Like, honestly, like I'm telling you, you can take this idea if anybody listening want to take this. But and even you speaking about like, um, you know, it being, you know, subjective, like how do you feel in these situations? Do you feel more confident? Things like that. Um, I was talking to a sports science, uh, a sports science director, and mm -hmm. she was telling me like when I was like, hey, like I want to I want to evaluate, you know, I want to assess. And she was like, honestly, like RP you know, or like, you know, getting an RPE is like mm -hmm. the gold standard of subjective like assessment. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's like even just like I mean kind of manipulating this in this scenario like maybe one thing if I was a skills trainer I don't even know if it would work but just like having them do an RPE of maybe like confidence or like where they see themselves like how you talk about like they filled out a SWOT analysis and then mm -hmm. maybe have them fill it out at the end um and things like that or maybe even just like how confident do you feel now versus before mm -hmm. and then um that's going to be more subjective still but it's still like, you know, the gold standard of like, you know, self-assessments and things like that. So that way now mm -hmm. like they can maybe look back and say, wow, like I was really like I lacked confidence when I was in these certain pick and roll scenarios. But now I feel like I'm more confident. I think just seeing that and it's also helpful for you too, because like, OK, that now this player maybe feels, you know, along with the objective data that you gain, like, OK, he's shooting a better percentage, like now that not as many turnovers. And then boom, you see, okay, and now he he or she feels more confident in these pick and roll situations and shooting. So it's mm -hmm. like almost like it goes hand in hand. Like you've seen the numbers go up, and then at the same time, you've also seen the confidence and the belief in yeah. oneself and self-efficacy and making these yeah. decisions. So it's like at that point, you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. Uh, I don't like I said, I don't even know if that's like a good idea, but it's just something I was thinking about as you're saying. It. I'm like, damn, like how how can we like assess, you know, 
these subjective these these situa- situations. And yeah. I think maybe we could put RPE in it. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah, an idea. Yeah. yeah, and for for the listeners um, that don't know what RPE is, it's just basically the rate of perceived exertion. So how hard a player felt like they were going. And um, that's definitely something that I think needs to be be. But basically, I, I think it's always kind of incorporated in skills training one way or another without really knowing because when you have to, with these subjective situations, there's really no other way to know because um, you can ask a player, do you feel better with it? But they, they'll say yes or no, but um, you really don't know up until they actually see it because a, a lot of times that confidence does translate to exactly that. Uh, so like, let's say they do feel better with a certain thing. They, they, most times they will for sure improve in that area of the game. But um, sometimes when they do feel more confident, just because they're running through the workouts and they're doing it all really well and they feel like they're um, crushing these workouts, they're do, I'm doing them right, I'm killing them or whatever. So sometimes the, those workouts aren't the best workouts, though. So they, they may be doing the drills really well and performing really well in these game-specific drills and training, but when you actually throw it into the, throw them into the lion's den and they actually have to see if it'll work or not, it's a, it's a, it's, that's where it becomes a lot more interesting to me because, you know, like you, it's a lot more fun that way. You feel like you've done everything correctly. You're doing, the, the player was feeling more confident. They're getting better. They're performing better, doing better numbers. But when you throw them in the game, something still isn't right. And I think that's the, the, um, the beauty and the training aspect of it because everything seemed to work the way it should have, but they're still trying to struggle. They're still struggling. So you just have to go back to the drawing board and figure out what was wrong and what, why this, why is this happening? But most times that doesn't happen. So it's um, it's um, it's it's. I, I definitely agree that rate perceived exertion is a good way to, uh, uh track or follow that player's pl- uh, progress. Yeah, man. Or even um, and it's funny because like I'm obviously I'm thinking about ideas as we speak, and don't get me wrong. Like I do love the skills training aspect of it. Uh, I keep in mind like I'm also not a skills trainer, but um, even just like something like that, it's funny because like I just kind of look at like. You know, performance and skills training—they're like, different, but they're still under the same umbrella, in my opinion, yeah. as far as like holistic performance. So, like, you still have to like—it's funny because you can even kind of like break it down as like skills, kind of uh, being more like instinctual. Like, if we're looking at skills and performance, and performance—you know, as far mm-hmm. as like the mechanics, like you still got to be able to get in that car, and the car has to function in order yeah. for you to drive it. And so, it's almost like I kind of—I don't know, man. It's just—it's pretty funny that you can look at skills training, you can break it down even more into yeah, those, two, yeah. those two scenarios. And then you can even look at performance and skills training, like still different, but kind of still under the same umbrella. And so yeah, anytime, yeah. like I, I get an idea when it comes to like performance, like, Oh, I can do this. I can do this as a concept. I'm thinking, damn, how can this translate to like skills training? Or yeah, I take skills yeah. training. Like how can I, how can I bring this over to my side? So now, nah, man, yeah. I love that. Or even just like, you know, we talked about like even just having that scale, maybe even bringing that to the players after the game, right? So after the game, it's yeah, like, yeah. since especially because it's fresh, you know, you say, hey, like in these situations, like, you know, how did you feel? Because even like, obviously, like it's going to be different in a controlled environment versus chaos, which is what mm-hmm. the game is. So if you put them in a chaotic situation, they finish the game. Hey, you know, confidence, like competency, like how, you know, where were you on a scale of one to 10? And mm-hmm. they're like, they look at the training, you know, like, this is cool. Like, I think they can look at like pre-training, post-training, and then, you know, post-game and they can see like, if they see progressions or that there's like a a dip anywhere, then it's like, okay, like there's, you know, there's a disconnect somewhere. And I don't know, man, I just think that'd be kind of like a cool idea. I need to run a study on that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, for two of my players that I've been my, basically my day one guy that I've been working with, 
that's something I, I did with them, like the post-game check-in, and then um, I would see how they felt about it. So each game, I'd watch all of their footage whenever I'm not in the area. I'd watch the whole entire game's footage from start to beginning and um, just give give them notes. I would have like a kind of like a game report sent to them after every single game where I showed them. I told them their pros. I told them their cons. I told them drills that they can use to work on the area that they uh, messed up on. And I give them all of their stats. I give them all their numbers, like steals, like down to even percentages. And then I would use that information to kind of track it and see like, all right, this player's free throw percentage has been kind of bad, but a lot of the time they, they've been driving baseline with nowhere to go and they make a jump pass. So we got to, one thing I got to make sure that we do in training this offseason is I focus on them being more decisive and being more, um, don't, don't just jump into the air and not know what you're about to do and then uh, um, turn, turn over the ball through a jump pass. So I recognize these patterns in those players just by watching a lot of their film. And I think that's something that a lot of players need to for sure take advantage of because film is the best teacher. It tells you exactly what you've been doing and how you've been doing it. And then you can just watch what you need to do and then see the areas for improvement. So um, that's definitely like the, the the gold standard, I think, of uh, self-assessment is, is how you play on film and then seeing how you can compare from early in the season to the end of the season, see where you improve and how you improve, uh, where, where you improve and where you uh, fell even shorter. So um, that was definitely the biggest tool, I think, in those assessments. Yeah, no, for sure, man. And it's, uh, you know, I think it's, it's just crazy, man. Like, as I started to learn more about just like training in general overall, it's crazy because now it's like feedback is so important, man. Like mm-hmm. feedback is like, especially when it comes to like, you know, whether you're training online or even just in person, like the ability to get that live feedback is so important because, you mm-hmm. know, you need to make a, you need to be able to make that quick intervention. So like yeah. if you, you know, you make a mistake or you, uh, you're watching film, I think sometimes with players watch film, they're kind of looking at it and they can kind of get some, some type of feedback, you know, like that self-assessment. But when they get, a, you know, someone who's got experience like you, Coleman or mm-hmm. any trainer, they can sit down and give them that feedback. Like that's to me so important because if we're not getting that, we can't make any, we can't intervene and make any, any changes. Right. So it's yeah. like, if you can't, don't make any changes, obviously you're going to keep getting the same result. So exactly. um, yeah, no, man, I think that feedback from, from playing, obviously like, you know, self-assessments, watching film, you know, working in a training environment where a trainer is going to sit down and say, Hey, you just made this mistake. This is, you know, what I saw that's live mm-hmm. feedback. That's immediate. And then you can make an immediate change to it. Uh, that's yeah. important, man. Cause if you don't have that, at that point, then you're just going to keep doing the same exact thing. Yeah. And nothing's exactly. ever going to change. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. For sure, man. All right, man. I got one last question for you and I'm going to get you out of here. I just say, like, I want to mm-hmm. say thank you for obviously coming on and, and taking all this time, man. Of um, course. No problem at all. When you, let, what is the most, I would say, what's the most important skill, which is pretty funny. Like everyone gets the same answer, but mm-hmm. what is the most important skill right now for a basketball player? And can you give one drill? that you would run and how you would run it in order to prove that skill? Um, so I, I think um, overall, in general, the most important skill is has and always will be shooting, the ability mm-hmm. to shoot the ball. And just because a shoot, there's always, like we've all heard the same where there's always a spot on the team for any uh, for a shooter. Because, mm-hmm. But no, nobody really realized how important it is and how, um, how really true that is. But if you look at how basketball has been going for the past, few years somehow uh, part uh, hugely thanks to Steph Curry a lot more a lot more threes have been taken from guards and uh, guards and wing players for sure obviously but a lot more threes have been taken by bigs as well so overall I think positionless being able to shoot the ball has become 
has and always would be the, the number one skill to have. And then the way to develop it, though, I think is it varies person to person or player to player. Some players struggle with catch and shooting or some players struggle with dribbling off, uh, shooting off the dribble. So there's no specific one way to develop it. But um, um, let me see if I could think of a way for like over, all guards overall, all wing players overall, maybe all bigs. But um, I guess for for big, I mean, no, I don't think there's there, there's just so much to shooting that you could uh, you could do. I can't even specify or boil it down all into one drill because shooting is kind of like a it's changing. It's just it's it's like an evolving aspect for a specific player to train. So it's like first there's the mechanics part of the shooting. Like are are your mechanics sound? Are they good? Whatever your form is, is it something that you can repeat? And um and and three different so, so my my three things for shooting a lot of people ask me how do I know if my form is good or how do I should I change my form to look like this or look like that because they want it to be more uh picture perfect versus functionally um functionally capable for them so my three questions are always can you get your shot off off the dribble the answer is yes okay continue to the next question can you shoot the ball with a player closing out on you like with the player running out and closing out on you without being blocked if so then good that's fine Next question is, can you shoot that ball quickly? Is it something that won't, is it something that's going to slow you down to be, where it's easily contestable? And if it is, if all those answers are correct or all those answers are yes, then the way your shot looks or the way it, um, let's say you even shoot with like that whole Lonzo over the left side or uh, over the left side of your shoulder, if it still is consistent, if you can get that shot off quickly, if you get that shot off off the dribble, then I, there's nothing really wrong with that shot. But a lot of times, Players need to make adjustments to the shot because if it fails in one of those three areas, so I think um, there isn't really one overall way to develop shooting in the best way possible. But the best way to see if you need how to adjust your shooting is by those three questions, where you can see if you get that shot off consistently, quickly over a defender, and um, off the dribble, because those are the main three areas that you need to be able to shoot from, for sure. Right. No, I I really I like that, man. I like that a lot, man. Uh, hey, man, I want to say thank you for coming on. Thank you for giving all this value. It's crazy because like, you know, we were talking, we're like, yo, man, like we're going to keep this a little bit shorter. But we just yeah. kept 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 giving yeah, uh, kept yeah. giving fire, man. So I just kept asking yeah. questions. But now, nah, man, I just want to say thank you for coming on again. And, you know, where can people find you? <clears throat> so like, you know, Instagram, if you're on Twitter, um, website you know where you know what are some things that i can tag and you know for people to find you and maybe just give it for the listeners to be able to to reach out to you yeah definitely instagram is probably the best best way to reach out to me as my at value basketball skills training pretty straightforward but um i do have a youtube it's pretty inactive right now but a lot of videos are going to be coming this summer for sure and i just started my website so that's going to be um good to go pretty soon as well and um Twitter, I'll, I have a Twitter, but I'm not as active on Twitter as I am on um, Instagram it's because of a lot more of a reach I have on Instagram. So Instagram is the best way to reach me for sure. Right. I got you, man. And I'll make sure I tag all that in the mm-hmm. in the show notes so people can easily just click on that. People are lazy. So I'll just put that in there. Yeah. That way, okay. give it, yeah, take out some steps. But, you know, mm-hmm. Yosef, man, I appreciate you for, for coming on, man. Um, look, if there's anything you need, I got you, man. But I just want to say Definitely, thank you, man, man for, for hopping on the podcast. Appreciate you for having me. It's a wonderful time, and I enjoyed the topics that we talked about for sure. I hope a lot of players and listeners out there were able to learn and train it as well. For sure, for sure, man. All right, man, I appreciate you, and I'll talk to you later, though. Yeah, most definitely, man. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Basketball and Barbells podcast. 
I really hope you all got major value from today's episode. Please leave a rating and review of the show and don't forget to tune in to the next episode.